and welcome back to another episode of Copcast uh, by Shoesmith's Quarter Protection Team. Uh, you're being spoken to today by me, Lauren Miner, uh, an associate in the team. Uh, we've also got Lucy Taylor and Rebecca Bristow. They can introduce themselves so you can recognise their voices. Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm a senior associate in the COP team. Lucy Taylor, partner in the COP team. It's also, for the record, the day we're recording this, it's Lucy Taylor's birthday Yay! today. So happy birthday to Lucy. <laughs> I know, I feel that we ought to be drinking something stronger while recording this, but just for public record, we're on the uh, hard stuff, fizzy water. It is fizzy though. It is fizzy. It is fizzy. Yes. It is quarter past 11. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I think this is probably a couple of weeks overdue because we got very excited, didn't we, on LinkedIn and said that um, we were eagerly anticipating help coming out on channel four and that we might even do a little podcast Mm. or copcast should i say to uh just pick up on on it afterwards and i have to confess it's been a few weeks um because we've all been so busy ladies it seems like the the Real world is caught up and we've yes. been to lots of charitable things. We've been out at CBIT events yeah, and conferences, actually seeing clients. Actual human yeah. contact. Yeah, it's been amazing. Uh, so, yeah, lots of charity things for CBIT and for um, we've done the Copper Conference, yeah. um, albeit that that was virtual, but it was good. It was good the to see. The afterwards was not virtual. Yeah, no, definitely. yeah, we actually managed to have a, a quarter protection um conference with the uh, real wine and cheese tasting afterwards yeah, so there's a common absolutely. thread developing through this isn't there <laughs> let's move on to help before we uh before we get even more sidetracked so yeah i i thought i had missed the last 20 minutes but having re-watched it this morning i realized that i had actually seen the whole thing which i guess tells you something about the ending of it which <laughs> we won't spoil it we'll come on to that but for those of you who haven't seen it um, essentially, it's uh, a program whereby it focuses on. Um, is it is her name Jodie Comer. Comer, and she is um, employed to work in a in a care home mm-hmm. um, right at the outbreak of the COVID pandemic, um, or literally on the cusp of it, isn't it? Yeah, a few months before she starts. Yeah, and um, there is a, a gentleman who is a really young. Um, diagnosis of dementia i think isn't he yeah early onset early onset onset alzheimer's Alzheimer's. okay so and that's he's played by stephen graham graham who's who's brilliant he was in line of duty wasn't he yes he was yeah yeah. um so yeah it just kind of tells the the kind of difficulties i think that we faced in care homes from the outset from the outbreak of the pandemic and throughout and it's really quite hard hitting it does not shy away from the extremities of many care homes who experience that Mm. in the moment Mm. um i don't know maybe maybe that's not news to us having had clients in that situation at the time but i uh having spoken to other people who don't work in this field regularly um i think they found it quite shocking I think maybe it wasn't it wasn't they didn't realize how bad it got in some places i think it was a really accurate portrayal mm, um, obviously not the sort of picking up your client and taking them to a caravan yeah, we don't advocate that no we don't advocate that um but you know that part okay that was the dramatization but you could see why you know people would be desperate to take people out of that care setting Absolutely. and throughout the pandemic 
I had a number of phone calls from desperate family members asking whether they could just take their relative out of the care home and take them home to live with them because they felt that that would be the safest option. Um, And obviously, you know, that led to some difficult conversations about whether or not that individual had capacity and could they just be moved? Mm -hmm. And actually, was it the right thing to do? It's really difficult when you're balancing the, the risks of COVID against somebody who has become institutionalized in a care mm. home. Somebody who'd be very, very confused, very um, you know, upset by the fact that they're being taken away from their day-to-day norm and purely because they don't understand COVID. They, mm-hmm. they, you know, they had no idea what was going on around them. It also focuses on the huge lack of PPA, doesn't it? Absolutely. There's, um, a, there's a statistic they put up at the end. This is not a spoiler because it's, you know, it's in, in context. Um, I think it said something along the lines of around 80% of the, the PPE required for the NHS was supplied of the PPE that was required in care homes, only 10% was supplied by the government. Yeah. So they were working on a tenth of the equipment they actually needed. Yeah. And you saw things like, you know, the the characters in the show doing things like just cutting holes in bin bags and wearing them and just doing anything they could to try and barrier barrier nurse in those yeah. in those conditions. Um and it and it showed how quickly it spread because there were just, you know, residents were picking it up one after the other. Um, and then employees were having to isolate at home. They were sick. Um, totally short-staffed. Yeah, absolutely. Impossible to deliver care to the extent that towards the end of the show, Stephen Graham's character is actually, um, uh, well, I think they've increased his meds to the extent that he was a character who was obviously quite lively. He was, yeah. you know, early onset Alzheimer's, still very active. Um, He's and, meant to be in his late 40s, I think, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they basically had increased his meds to the extent that he he was essentially um, unable to move. Yeah. You know, they, um, it was, you know, they restrained him, chemically restrained him, essentially. Because they didn't have, because they didn't have the the, the resource or the manpower. Yeah. Um, And then I suppose the the irony being that earlier on in the show, um, staff members had to rely on him to help them tend to other residents because he was the only person around who was capable of yeah you know doing anything or lifting anyone yeah i and i think it is important to recognize that it's dramatization and i've read some commentary somewhere where someone said you know it would have been a um a fantastic horror or you know a thriller if it were not to the extent that it's true yeah and i'm not saying for one second that you know that all of it is of course there's an element dramatization in there but you do have to sort of recognise, I, I would definitely be suggesting that the use of implemented um, PPE like bin bags and you know, whatever they could get their hands on, um, I, I would certainly be suggesting that the, the, the closer to the truth that is. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it has really opened up people's eyes and obviously we've now got the public inquiry. And um, I think just this week, there have been some harrowing statistics released in terms of, you know, how how many people passed away who were in Mm. care. Mm. You know, we've heard that they would have forgotten, Mm. forgotten sort of people. Um, I think it's something like 40, around 40% of the total COVID deaths in the UK are from people resident in care homes. You can see why, can't you? You know, you can absolutely see why. I think, you know, it's very easy with hindsight to look back, you know, what were the alternatives to say people were, you know, trying to take their relatives home to stay with them? Um, because we forget as well that we're talking about what happened inside the care home, but you also had that phase where nobody could go in 
nobody could come out families didn't see loved ones Mm -hmm. and there's there's points in it I think where you've got people visiting and visiting through glass windows Um, and actually I found that probably one of the hardest parts to watch because you then see later on that that character has passed away Mm. and I think we have to you know recognize that people didn't get the opportunity to spend last minutes hours days with Mm. their loved ones before they lost them um in in that environment and and that's that's horrific Mm. i do actually wonder how things have changed though because there are i mean i i've been out to see clients in care homes since where they've not been bothered about ppe Mm -hmm. they've not been bothered about me you know, saying I've been tested or vaccinated. I was just going to say, did you have to demonstrate that you'd done a lateral flow test? One of them, one of them I did, one of them I didn't. One of them uh, I did, they wanted me to present that beforehand and to isolate after doing the test, which I thought was, was good. Yeah. I I was happy to do that. Um, And um, asked me if I'd been vaccinated, although I didn't want any proof of that, but I had been. So that was fortunate. Mm -hmm. And then another one, you know, only a week later, um, I isolated in between for the record, um, but uh, weren't bothered at all. Didn't even ask me to wear a mask when I went in. Um, and then now, um, just anecdotally, my uh, elderly grandfather is currently in a, in a care home after catching COVID, being in hospital. Um, and his care home won't let anybody in to see him still now without full testing. But you still have to wear all your PPE, mm. um, which I suppose in a way is good. And I'm also think that's important if, if we're going to see a client, especially because there's no need for physical touch at that point, if it's not necessary, but equally so if there's relatives that haven't been able to touch their family members for what getting on for two years now. Yeah. And we, they still can't do that. Even if they're able to evidence that they're safe and well, Yeah, you know, what toll is that having on those people? I think you're absolutely right. I, um, I was speaking to a, a new client a few weeks ago whose relative was in hospital and was um, needing to be transferred to, to care and uh, the, they were sort of uncertain how it was all going to work. And I think from their point of view, they were quite reassured that their relative um, was tested whilst in hospital yeah. frequently, um, then moved to sort of an isolation bay mm-hmm. where uh, contact from the outside world was quite restricted um, before they then went into the care home because that was a major failing early mm-hmm. on, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, the lack of testing. Yeah, and, it, and again, it's very to... easy to look back now with how you know easy we've got lateral flow tests and PCR tests coming being well, a being done and coming back very quickly. Um, but back then, you know, people were just discharged from hospital straight to care homes, mm-hmm. and um, that was was you know a huge the, the part of the. Which I think isn't really a spoiler, is it? It's on the advert where um, Jodie Cromer's. Uh, accepting a new resident into the home and she's not wearing her mask and the, the paramedics say where is your mask and she's like I didn't know I needed to wear one yeah, yeah. and that kind of summed up how unprepared the yeah. care industry was yeah. for COVID whereas yeah. perhaps I suppose the NHS doctors have that insight into what a respiratory condition can do to patients um that that wasn't relayed mm. to the mm. care homes and the how hospitals had also mm. been supplied you know PPA. with PPA yeah, yeah. um yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still think you're right, Lauren. There's an awful lot of care homes out there who are still on 
some some form of lockdown. Yeah, it's just very inconsistent, isn't it? And I just think... But is that a byproduct of that? I think the other element that for me stood out was the relationship with the carers and how it highlighted the bond that you get between Absolutely. residents yeah. and carers. Yeah. And we're now finding this this snowball of a care crisis where we've got, we don't have enough carers. Nope. We've got enough, people don't want to go into yeah. it. So our homes having to be more restrictive with their residents because they don't have enough staff to meet mm. their needs and to, to be around to, to support them with visits um and, mm. and as a byproduct they're having to be more restrictive with other elements of care i think this makes it very obvious that the, the crisis that we have on our hands because another of the statistics they said at the end is that the yeah. average the average uh, hourly rate of a, of a carer which yeah. is eight pounds something eight pound fifty yeah, but i think not far off minimum wage essentially yeah um and uh there's you know there are scenes in the in the program where you know, Jodie Comer being paid minimum wage has, has already done, what, a 24-hour shift yeah. because yeah. there's been nobody else to support. Yeah. And just watching the show, I mean, it's very easy. I I think, you know, I'd, I'd be knackered doing that, mm. you know, and to be paid minimum wage, it's no wonder that it's hard to encourage people to go into that field. And it, and yeah. it is a crisis. I was on a call yesterday where we were trying to find a package of care for, for a young lady of 17. And it's it's... Nearly impossible. Yeah. And the upshot of that is that the irony of it is actually that her mum is actually a carer. Mm. Um, and and mum needs respite. She needs to go out to work. She needs that for her own mental health. Um, but she's restricted from being able to do that because we can't find adequate support to support her daughter. Mm. Um, and yeah, we are, you know, we're, we're hearing about HGV drivers and the crisis there, but we are absolutely in a care crisis. Absolutely. We have been country. for years, though. We yeah, have been for years. Absolutely. absolutely. And I think if, you know, if this has done nothing else but highlight that, mind you, I still, I'm still not entirely convinced that anything's actively being done to address it. Mm. Um, but we're talking about care homes and care care home environments on the flip side of it you know during covid and i think we may have talked about this in earlier podcasts it was incredibly difficult supplying support workers and and keeping care in people's homes so from Absolutely. a domiciliary input point of view and you've got two sides of the fence there again you know some family members absolutely didn't want people coming in from yeah. outside you know they didn't know where those people had been they didn't know what circles they'd been mixing in they didn't know how how what what steps and what precautions were those individuals taking to keep themselves mm. safe and free of covid because they didn't want it brought into the house where ultimately they're then caring for their vulnerable you know, relative. Um, so we had two sides of the fence, really. We had some families that wanted to just go into complete lockdown bubbles and we ended up with family members providing the care. Um, and that's taken its toll. Yeah, You know, that, that has absolutely taken its toll. And on, on the other side of it, we had situations where you know, we just couldn't do that. There yeah. weren't people who were able to care. And so we had to keep carers going in. And it was frightening, actually. Um, I, I guess I, I was watching help with a view to, you know, it was bad enough for us, but if you are a vulnerable Absolutely. individual with some insight as to COVID, but you know, perhaps you're impaired, you're slightly impaired in your judgment of things. And then seeing these people then coming into your home, now all of a sudden, you know, wearing all this PPE, because thankfully, as a team, we were able to rally and get as much PPE supplies. And thanks to, you know, a lot of the case management companies and people that we worked with, we were able to get PPE for clients and, and their carers. Um, but it must have been hugely intimidating from the client's perspective and equally not really, not really knowing what's going on. Yeah. 
think it's um, important to, to remember that actually for a lot of our clients, it's not <coughs> over. Whereas we are we're in the office today, and it's lovely to see colleagues and to be around friends, and you know, we're all taking our own precautions. And but going back to life as normal for some of our really vulnerable clients, they're very much still in that. They just can't take scenario. the risk. They can can't. They? No. Yeah. So you've got families who are having to step in and still provide the care because the carer that day has done a lateral flow test on the arrival at work and it's tested positive. Mm. We've got another carer of sick. There's nobody to step in and do that. You know, the members of the family can't go to school just to make sure that that, that person is safe. Exactly. So it's, we as a society are trying to move on, but there are still some really vulnerable parts of society that are stuck in, in lockdown, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And for some clients, we've said before, haven't we, that it was welcome to my world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, because for them, actually, being in lockdown, nothing could really change because they felt that they'd lived their life Isolated in anyway. that kind Already. of isolation yeah. and, and that environment anyway. Um, but yeah, I think we are still very much in the middle of it. There are still huge pockets of society where people are still incredibly vulnerable despite being double vaccinated mm. and now many are starting to have boosters as well, particularly our older clients and that will come through to our younger clients who are clinically vulnerable as well, but they are still living life with severe restrictions. Mm. I was trying to think of, I saw something the other day about, you know, what, what positives have come out and I'm really struggling <laughs> from these clients' perspectives. Um, I then tried to think about what have we learned and I would, I mean, I just, I would love to say that we'll never see anything like this again in our lifetimes, but you just don't know because if somebody had said to me, we'd just lived through the last two years, I would have gone, no, that just wouldn't happen. But we do have to we do have to use it as a learning um, exercise, don't we? Yeah, and I think the the silver lining I take from this is that tech has become such a bigger part yeah, of, of our day to day business. Yeah. You know, I was talking to um, a client's mum the other day, and the fact that once upon a time, if he was having a bad day, he couldn't go to school. That's it. He'd he'd miss out on education. Now it's all set up for those lessons to be online. He doesn't have to miss out on his learning. Mm, he doesn't have to miss out absolutely. on seeing friends because that can all be done via Zoom and Teams and that is a massive plus uh, and it's it's taken away a barrier perhaps to accessing some parts of community life. Yeah, I think it's helped clients who perhaps were very isolated before. It's, it's certainly given them other outlets um, from that point of view. I think the public inquiry will no doubt pick up on this, but we need to be far more prepared in terms of making sure, even from our point of view, I don't think that many of us had thought about having to obtain PPE. You know, mm, we, no. we, that, that on our radar. wasn't, mm. you know, as lawyers, it wasn't, but it's something that, you know, we are now very alive to. And that's not to say we didn't get involved in it before, but it would very much fall into a case manager or the care supply. But we, you know, we very much had to kind of go through that, um, furlough scheme let's, yeah. let's be honest we all became furlough experts overnight <laughs> and thanks to some you know great input from our employment team with that but we've we've had to furlough we've had to unfortunately make redundancies within support packages and equally um we've had to try to keep those people as safe as possible you know there were carers who were saying as much as i want to i am clinically vulnerable i can't yeah. um so i think We've we've learnt the value 
even more so, I think anybody who care cares for you know has got an extra chromosome somewhere because you you know whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, whether you are you know a, a support worker, a carer, whatever. I think you've just got an extra gene because <laughs> it takes something really special. Absolutely. And certainly from our perspective, I think we've never you know thought so highly of these people as we have done. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's been quite a sombre podcast, hasn't it? Has, it? Actually. And it's my birthday. So oh. <laughs> not sure not sure that it was the right time. But yeah, I, I think we've learned a lot. I'm I just not... hope we don't get selective memory about these things. I know it's mm. always it's quite common, isn't it, to sort of look back on things with slightly as a rose tinted glasses and we can be like, Oh well I learnt how to cross stitch in lockdown or whatever but um yeah we don't forget that yeah. that empathy and exactly. that respect we have for carers for support workers for everybody who's been involved really on helping on the ground during this period because at the moment we have that huge respect and i think it will be you're right we forget quite yeah. quickly don't we um, i also sincerely hope we bring in some pay increases to the care yes, sector absolutely <laughs> just absolutely. because that would i think that would only improve things yeah, I, I think it's all about fairness, isn't Absolutely. it? You know, um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Lauren. Clapping for them is all well and good, but that's uh, well, it doesn't pay the bills, does it? Bills, it? Bills, no, no <laughs> quite. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think it's something that you know we we need to be very mindful of and care shortages. And I think also family members, you yeah. know, um, the way that some family members just kind of rolled up their sleeves and you know got on with the caring. Um, because they, you know, obviously naturally they wanted to. There will be millions of unpaid yeah. carers yeah. in the UK. And we see it all the Absolutely. time, you know, you know parents, yeah. even even for, you know, non-disabled children. It's a massive task. Um, you know, I think if we can, if we can as a, as a society, maybe acknowledge the burden mm. of uh, all that unpaid care that gets done. Um, I think that would be only beneficial. Yeah, but equally, I think it's important to recognise that whilst that is, you know, may have been a temporary solution, I don't think it's fair that, you know, automatically families should be looked to to provide support. Absolutely. Um, And I know that that was a, a, without wanting to be political about it, there's been mention of looking to family first um, for care. And actually, that's so far from the truth. It's very easy to say that as well, if you you have no real life experience of it. I think as soon as, as soon as you've experienced it, you know, mm. I know, I know all three of us have provide caring roles for for family members in various uh, shapes and forms. And I think as soon as you've done it once, you you realise how how much of a mammoth task it is. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not something that you can just ask of somebody. No, absolutely not. And um, you know, I've been trying to get some carers assessments um over the last few weeks because it's really important that people are able to say, I'm happy to provide some care. This is what I can do, yeah. but these are where these are the areas that I can't. Mm. Um, and I don't think I think we've got a huge way to go on that because there seems to kind of be this sense of it's your duty coming through, and it's okay to say actually no. I think it's also important to respect the individual who's receiving the care. Absolutely. They may not actually want to be provided uh, their care by a family member, you know. And I think that's not unusual, actually. Mm. I think that's you know you can feel makes you feel very vulnerable Mm. Um, i would say that we think a lot about planning for our financial future very few people i don't think plan for 
their sort of welfare future. Mm. And it's something that I think people need to start thinking more about. Um, you know, we, we, we know kind of what we want from a financial perspective, but I don't think people necessarily think about care planning. Mm. And I, again, you know, without wanting to kind of go into the legalistic parts of it, yes, there are lasting powers of attorney and, you know, making your plans there. And we've, we've discussed that to death, but I think it's important to recognize that there are other ways of planning. Um, you know, if you are needing to put care in place there are independent social workers. Um, I'm not taking away any responsibility from social care, um, but equally we know what huge pressure and strain they're under. And what I've said to a couple of my colleagues over the last couple of weeks is, you know, if the individual is is able to pay and they can um, self-fund, they get choice. Mm. We, we, Mm. you know, that we've, always made that point um and having a choice is um something that i personally would want um and equally there are people who can help me so it's quite daunting if somebody ends up going into hospital transpires that they need to come out of hospital perhaps need some support at home or maybe they can't go home yet Mm. or they can't go home at all that can be quite a daunting journey and and you've just been on this haven't you with your granddad yeah yeah and unless you've got someone like Lauren to you know, do it for you, it can be hard to know what to do. But there are independent social workers. There are you know, um, people who are able to look at care, what sectors of care there are, what placements there are, without needing to perhaps wait or rely on local authority services. I think we see that difference very starkly, don't we? Because we, we, we do act for a number of individuals who have the funds there which yeah. buys them choice also yeah. appreciate that shouldn't have to be cash that buys you choice but it is it is where we are but we also have a number of clients that we act for often for free on a pro bono basis or very minimal fees where they don't have the choice yeah. um, and seeing those two differences is you know the trajectory that you follow is very can be very different mm. very different i think you know it's important when you're looking at care for a relative that you really do your research. Absolutely. Um, and, and again, this is something again that I quite often get pulled into and, and clients will say, you know, I don't really know what I'm looking for. I don't know what to do. Go and have a look at care homes. Absolutely. You know, go and have a look. Um, yes, the care home will want to come out and do their own assessments, but equally it's a two-way process. So go and have a look at the care home. Go and have a chat with the managers and the staff on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and you know, treat it as any anything else. Um, and I, I would, I always sort of try and put myself in that position. If this were me moving into this care home, what what is there here? Um, you know, what are we talking about in terms of what does the day look like for a resident? Yeah. What services are available for the resident? What um, what, what activities are available? Um, and it's going to be different for every individual, but I think it's it's really important, particularly when there are a lack of um, available beds in care homes. Um, okay, you could argue that some element of choice has been removed, but mm. it's still important to pick somewhere where the individual is going to get the right level of stimulation as well as the right level of care. Exactly, exactly. And and equally on the flip side of that, you know, there's no point putting, you know, your relative who's in their 80s into um, a, a, a home which is meant for very active people who've had brain injuries. Yeah. You know, it may not be the right level of care for them. They're not going to get the right interaction, the right types of stimulation. Um, and, and 
equally it goes the other way. Yeah, absolutely. So we care. Also, just for sort of practical on the ground tips, if anyone's interested, um, I think it's also a good idea. Lots of lots of places can get reviews for care homes online. I think it's carehome.co.uk or something. Yeah. You can see families' reviews, which is often often quite good. Um, check their CQC rating. Yeah, check yeah. the CQC so rating. I, I think oh, probably the first starting point. And again, something that you know, it's inherent to us, we do it. But I'm yeah. not sure how many people you know listening who don't have experience would know. Um, so Care Quality Commission, um, they go in carry out their assessments they rate um you know and you can see reports that have been filed where there are issues what any kind of rectifications have taken exactly. place so yeah start with i think visit, visiting is probably top of the list though you can, you can only really know by get, going yeah. getting a feel for the place trying, think, to, trying think to meet with other residents maybe if yeah you can. and i think also it's important that that continues yes um and that and that's the other thing um you know not everybody's relatives live close to where the individual is going to be in care and you know there are other ways um you know, we quite often will engage say a case manager to just go out and do a kind of spot check visit um we've just been talking about haven't we about how some some care homes aren't letting people in so it might not be possible to go and physically visit so do they offer a virtual tour can you speak to the home manager can you speak to a nurse on the different yeah different levels so you know who's going to be looking after your family member Mm. are there other families perhaps Mm. you can speak to to get a, a, a personal reference there are other ways around it if you can't physically exactly. go into the building yeah. at the moment. And I'd also try and see if you can speak to a few different people in the same care yeah. home. Yeah. So not just the That's same person every time because, you know, different people can be different. Uh, that was that was a helpful comment, wasn't it? Different people can be different. Um, <laughs> different people offer a different viewpoint, don't they? Exactly. So it's, exactly. It's, it's always useful to, to perhaps get more than one opinion on a place before you make that really important decision. Exactly. Hmm. And, you know... If you are older and thinking that, you know, care might be something that you're going to need and you know, you 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 have the ability to have that insight, um, start to prepare. I think that's the other thing. You know, some people will want to stay at home um for as long as possible. And again, start preparing for that. You know, if if you can do your own research um and make your wishes well known, um, more chance of, of them being implemented again. How many times have we said this? Have I the know. conversations, like I know. Exactly. talk about things, talk about what you want for your future, both money, both welfare, so that if the uh, the unfortunate happens and you can't at least your family know, at least mm. they've they've got an insight into what it was that you wanted. So. I do think this is a cultural thing as well. I think as Brits, mm. we're not very, it's not natural to us to talk I'm about just going to put it out the personal. that I don't have any issue with ever needing to go into a care home, but I would like to specify that they have resident cats. Fair enough. That would be my wish. They, um, they do exist. I also went to an amazing care home for a client that had four dogs that just lived lived in the care home, yeah. potted around, all the doors were left open. Yeah. Um, uh, I mentioned this when I was talking to my granddad, actually, uh, and my granddad hates animals, so I said, don't worry, I won't, we won't put <laughs> But you that's there. a relevant consideration, uh, yeah, though, yeah. isn't it? You know, we joke about it. But, yeah, I know your granddad's quite um, angsty about your little dog, so... <laughs> he I, hates her. I know, he so... Hates her. How's that possible? <laughs> yeah, but equally, yeah, just just putting it out there, ladies, that uh, if, if any of you end up being my attorneys, then I would like to be put in a care home which has resident cats. Resident cats, right. Yeah. In Greece, somewhere nice and sunny. I mean, that would be ideal, but, um, you know, whatever, so long as there's cats. See, people, it's really important to have these conversations. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Aside from my uh, cat insight, I'm I'm hoping that 
listeners might have found there, you know, some useful points in there if you're ever in the situation where you need to sort out care for a relative or, or you yourselves are thinking about planning for your future. Also, I feel it's worth noting that if you haven't watched this yet and you're planning to, um, I first personally found it very distressing. It was very mm. close to home. Yes. Um, I mean, anyone who knows me will know I'm a bit of a weeper anyway, but I did, I did blub a few times. Do you know, it's a really valid comment because I asked my mum to watch it and her instant reaction was, what's it about? So I told her and she went, no, 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 I can't watch that. That's too close to home. And I do get that, but coming back to- do think it's important Exactly. And I'm just going to come back to the point you just made about being, you know, we don't want to talk about it. It's really important that we do. And it's really important that we reflect on what's happened. Um, But, you know, I I do get it. I get that it's close to the bone and I get that it's upsetting, but equally- I think it's a really powerful program. Um, I, I would suggest people, you know, tune in and and watch. Yeah, I am glad. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, even though it was upsetting, I think mm. it's important still. And you know, those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like some things are upsetting, but it's important we engage with them anyway. I suppose is what I'm saying. Equally, people tell me to watch A&E and I can't bear to watch it because I just don't like it. So I do get it, <laughs> listeners. I do, I do get it if you can't bring yourself to, but yeah. Right. Well, thanks for the birthday podcast, There you guys. go. What a cheery um, subject for your happy I mean, birthday. I mean, I have happy to birthday, say Lucy. that it's better than birthday. my birthday of 2020, which... Fair enough. I don't really remember where I was, but I certainly wasn't in a room with other human beings. So thank you very much. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and maybe there might be a glass of fizz in it for us all later on. Yeah, maybe we'll after take you working lunch. hours, listeners, after working hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Okay. Thank you for listening to Shoesmith's podcast by the Court Protection Team. Your hosts have been Lucy Taylor, Rebecca Bristow and Lauren Miner. And we hope you'll join us again in the future. 